0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Make It Count. So turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 20 to 26, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Called to Noble Purpose.
1: A young schoolboy, after failing his third test, told his teacher, Look, I'm not an underachiever. You're an over-expector. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the great tragedies in life is the number of people committed to mediocrity. You know, there are many people whose lives are not guided by vision or purpose or by a willingness to lose all for a great cause, but lives guided by the impoverished values of personal comfort. And if truth be told, they live only to please themselves. Now, there are people who can't imagine something they'd be willing to die for. It was U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt who, I think, said it well. He said, Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. You know, of course, there are multiple reasons that people give for never rising above mediocrity. The book of Proverbs contains one of them, or maybe many. But here's one in Proverbs 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. In other words, don't you know all the things that are stacked up against me and the dangers I face and the opposition that I have? I don't have the advantages that others do. You know, if you understood the issues that I'm personally facing, you'd know why I never dare mighty things. How many of you know that John Bunyan spent much time in prison? Sir Walter Scott was crippled. Abraham Lincoln was raised in abject poverty without access to education. Benjamin Disraeli was the subject of bitter racism. Beethoven was deaf. Albert Einstein was considered a slow learner. Helen Keller was blind, deaf, and mute. There was a lion in the street for all of them, and they rose to noble purpose in spite of it. So what is your problem? But today's not a motivational speech trying to get you to discover your inner potential and strive for it. Today's a biblical calling to be useful to the Lord Jesus. Are you useful to Christ? And if not, no doubt, you have your reasons, but is it because there's a lion in the streets? So let's read 2 Timothy 2:20 20 to 26. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies? You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant him repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. It is possible to be an effective tool in the hands of Jesus. It's also possible to live, even as a Christian, and never be useful. But our calling in Christ is a noble calling. So Paul begins with a metaphor. A great house, you can imagine a mansion, huge foyer, magnificent dining area, large kitchen with many servants, and so on. It's a metaphor for the church as a whole. The large house is the church. The vessels in the house are God's people, some of whom are honorable and some are dishonorable. Now, our problem is that we won't understand large ancient houses. You know, until the time of flush toilets, all houses had night pots, and these were called vessels intended, well, to put it delicately, for bathroom use. This is where you did your business. Some of these were the crudest kind. They were meant to be thrown away after only one use. You never put these out for your guests to see. You hid them away. And the image of some vessels being made of gold and silver and others made of clay and wood then becomes, well, it's clear. Some articles in great houses are stunning and beautiful, and some are, well, Well, we don't talk about them, and we throw them out in the end. Well, here's what Paul's trying to say. In the church, there are some honorable, some dishonorable people. Are they all believers? Well, it would seem so from this text. At least that's how I understand it. You know, this passage is a warning, not just to believers at large, but to Timothy. And by the way, there's another image, you know, very different from the one we've just read, but it makes the very same point, and it's in 1 Corinthians three, eleven to 15. There Paul speaks about building on the foundation of Christ with either precious building materials or, on the other hand, wood, hay, and straw items that won't stand the test of fire. Now, of course, the two images are different, but the point, I think, is the same. In 2 Timothy, as in 1 Corinthians, believers in Christ are to be useful to the Master. But in 1 Corinthians, there's an image in which one can spend a lifetime doing that, which, you know, millions of years from now will make no difference whatsoever. It's going to be burnt up. And in 2 Timothy, you want to be an honorable vessel. See, you want to be useful to Christ. What you've done should be celebrated for all eternity. You want to be an honorable vessel. And that's the choice that all of us have to make right now. You and the way you live your life, the decisions that you make in your obedience or disobedience to Christ, you're right now deciding whether your life is wasted or whether it's purposeful. Go to verse 21. There, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So please notice that the phrase, what is dishonorable, is in the original simply, these things. So the sentence should read, if anyone cleanses himself from these things. So what things? Well, our translator has assumed that the things are the dishonorable things. But the grammar suggests that the things might be dishonorable people. In other words, you'll want to distance yourself from the kind of people who are dishonorable. Well, let's step back for a moment so that we're tracking. Paul's speaking about wanting to be useful to our master, and he says we can be vases or we can be night pots. You can serve Christ in such a way that it will matter a million years from now, or you can waste your life being of no service to your master. It's up to you. Now, take it to the next level. How do you get there? How can my life be useful to my master? Now, listen closely to the answer from verse 21 cleanse yourself in your life from those influences that make you a vessel of dishonor. Now, someone's going to ask, do you understand verse 21 to be teaching that we are to cleanse ourselves from dishonorable or useless or night pot believers? Well, well, before you get your hackles up, please remember that the Bible talks sometimes in this way. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you Keep away from any brother. Notice it's a brother. You keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So uh, there are other passages that read like that as well. Uh, You'd find one, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It tells us that Christians should be involved in the lives of people in this world. That is, don't stay away from people in the world. You want to influence them for Christ but then paul says if someone claims to be a christian and that person is sexually immoral at the same time you should keep away from such a person so if that's you let's say you're being sexually immoral and you're claiming to be a believer the rest of us should stay clear of you now that's shocking to some but that is god's will for us now we're not doing it in order to be punitive We're doing it to bring you to your senses so that you might see what God wants of you. Now, clearly, the context of the Bible passage that we're reading has everything to do with the false teachers that Paul has already mentioned earlier, and we talked about that, in fact, yesterday. See, in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2, Paul has mentioned two men. They were leaders in the past who had swerved from their faith, and we also saw that one of them had been excommunicated. But here he was, still teaching false doctrines, and he's still trying to influence people, and apparently some were listening to him. They had not stayed away from him. And so, says Paul, you want to be useful to Christ? Stay away from the night pots. But here's the point. If you want to be a vessel holy and set apart for God, that is, if you want to be his special tool to do his work, well, then get into fellowship with those whose lives are dedicated precisely to that. Get connected with mature believers who see servanthood and being useful to Christ and following after him as their life's goal. And if you don't do that, you run the danger of a wasted life. Now, that's a good place to start. Is there anything else we should learn? Yes, there is. Verse 22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So please notice verse 22 has two important words. One is the word flee, and the other is the word pursue. So we have two different images. One image, run away, and the other, run hard and catch it. Both of these are key if we are to be useful to the service of the Lord.
0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we wanna remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Paul says we're to flee youthful passions, and of course, you'll notice that Paul is directing his remarks at Timothy. He's young, and being young, he's gonna face temptations uniquely felt at his age. And there are also sins unique to middle-age and to the elderly, but this is a word for Timothy. So Timothy is to begin with paying attention to those passions that are specific to his youth. You know, our first reaction is, I wonder if Paul's talking about sexual sin, and here we might think about Joseph in the book of Genesis and Potiphar's wife. The woman is attempting to seduce Joseph, and she grabs him by the cloak and she says, sleep with me, and he, instead of discussing the matter with her, runs away so fast, That she's grabbing a hold of his coat and he simply slips out of it and she's left holding the coat in her arms see joseph's example is good counsel you know don't try to master sexual temptation just run from it flee don't let yourself get close to that area where you can be tempted especially when it comes to sexual temptation so is this what paul is saying to timothy well perhaps but a good rule of bible study is always consider the context And since the context here is about quarrels over words and heated debates between people in the church and controversies that are raging in the church where young Timothy is a pastor, I think that Paul has other youthful passions in mind here. Paul is concerned, as we see in this passage, that Timothy not become embroiled in one argument after another. You know, the youthful passions Paul's thinking about are probably impatience, harshness, the tendency to become hot-headed, to be critical to stand at a distance and criticize others and maybe even mock them and hold them in low regard. How easy it is to make fun of fellow Christians. Paul says, you flee from these errors that youth are prone to. A harsh critical spirit run from it just like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. So up till now, Paul has been talking about the importance of being a vessel useful for the master, which is what Timothy wants for his own life. Now, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy doesn't start well and then, you know, go off the rails, become defeated, end up being a dishonorable vessel, having, you know, bad attitudes in the end. And I call this the perfecting of the believer. You know, the first, as we've seen, is to flee youthful passions. And next, Paul wants Timothy to pursue godly virtues. And you're going to notice that Paul mentions four of them. The first is righteousness, meaning right conduct of a man or woman who follows the will of God. The second is faith, that is confident trust in the promises of God. The third is love, and here he may mean both love for God and genuine love for God's people. Then finally, peace, harmonious relationships among people. All right, we're getting a picture. God wants all his people to be useful to Christ. He wants us to hear the words, well done, when we stand before him. It's important that we're not ashamed of our service and that we've not lived a wasted life. And the place we begin is to intentionally build our fellowship around faithfulness to Christ. See, on a practical side, a good small Bible study group can help. Secondly, you know, together with others, we should make sure we flee that which is dishonoring to Christ. You know, good, we're halfway there. But there's so much more. All believers, if we are to be useful for the Lord's business, must be the Lord's servants. And there are two occasions in first and second Timothy where Paul will use the word servant. The first time is in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, where Paul tells Timothy to teach others. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. In other words, if you teach what Christ wants to be taught, you're going to be a good servant. Or we can make it a wider principle. If we carry on in the ministry Christ has given us, if we exercise our spiritual gifts as Christ wants us to, we'll be a good servant. That's in 1 Timothy But now in 2 Timothy, he mentions the word again. Look again at verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil. Now, even though he mentions the word servant only once in this letter, and once in the last letter, still we should notice that the concept is everywhere present. For instance, look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 14, where Paul tells Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. See what's happened? The master has entrusted something to Timothy. Timothy must do what the master expects of him. Or 2 Timothy 2.15 where Timothy is to present himself before the Lord as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. So Timothy is to work at the task that his master has assigned to him. He'll be called to account for it. Now in the end of chapter two, Paul brings all of it together when he calls Timothy the Lord's servant. And the Greek word here is the word doulos. It can be translated as slave. And here I'm reminded of Jesus' words, Luke seventeen seven to 10. Will any one of you who is a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And I think that's exactly what Paul has in mind when he calls Timothy the Lord's servant. He says, Do your duty. Servants care for their master first, then for themselves. Lawrence Sandy, who was president of the Navigators, was once asked how someone could know if they had a servant's attitude. And he said, By how you act when someone treats you like one. Yeah. Yeah. You see, some of us bristle at the idea that we should put our own needs second in the needs of others first. But that's what Paul wants of Timothy. Timothy, if you don't want to be a night pot, if you don't want to be a disgrace, if everything you do in this life is burnt up at the judgment, if you don't want that, then be a servant. Let's put it in perspective. Ruth Harms Calkin wrote the following words. She said, you know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight, You know how eagerly I speak of you at the women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. And you know my genuine enthusiasm at Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. True servant doesn't ask, is this the task I want, but rather asks, is this the task my master has assigned? How about you? What has Christ called you to do? Are you doing it? But even that's not enough, there's something else. See, Timothy's task, his assignment, his duty to his master was to preach and to teach and to lead and to correct false teachers. But if that sounds too cushy, consider Paul's next instructions. He must be kind and not quarreling, kind to everyone. He must be competent to teach God's people, but he must be patient and enduring evil done against him. So why endure evil? Well, Paul gives the answer in verses 25 and 26. He says, Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. See, Timothy must be aware of the spiritual warfare that he's always encountering as a leader. At all times, the devil is at work in the lives of people. The leader should see it. The devil has snares for people who are part of the fellowship. The devil seeks to trap them, and in so doing, he captures them to unwittingly do his will. Now, sometimes that will is the bitterness in the life of a believer who's been wronged by someone else. Sometimes it has to do with lust which leads that believer into sin. Indeed, the devil has many ways to capture believers. The reason for correcting opponents, Paul says, with gentleness is that gentleness is the tool that God uses to rescue those who are in the grip of Satan's deceit. Paul says, God in mercy may grant them the grace of repentance, that is, by God's grace, They're going to see what's really happening to them, and they're going to be shocked to find out this was Satan's trap, and they'll repent. And that's why the servant of God must be gentle, and that's why the servant of God must not react when people treat the servant of God shamefully. The servant of God bears in mind that he is a servant unto Jesus Christ and has been called upon in gentleness to lead people back to Christ, to repentance, and out of the influence of the evil one. And so you see, these also are the noble purposes to which the leader of God's people is called. Indeed, these are the noble purposes which God calls all of us to do. Now, there is the calling. Do you wanna be useful to your master? Or are you committed to mediocrity? Do you wanna make your life count? Or are you willing to see everything that you've ever done in this life be burned up in the end? You're gonna have to make a choice but I think the choice should be plain. Be useful to the Lord's service.
0: Thanks, John. You know, I think it's safe to say that there are many believers that just don't believe that they can play an important role in the kingdom. Can I say they have a spiritual inferiority complex? What can they do? How how can we encourage them?
1: Yeah, well, it's true that we have that, but, you know, I, I would help Uh, try to say to people, uh, care less about whether you have a spiritual inferiority complex and ask yourself, do you think that the altogether sovereign God has no plan for you at all? Do you think that God has forgotten you? If you think that, God in his word tells you that's not true. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. I mean, you belong, you're people belonging to God. I mean, you have been saved by the blood of Christ you have a noble purpose to play because God tells you that you have a noble purpose to play. So simply believe that and then act on it. Look around, see what opportunities God has given for you. Be faithful there. It is a great
0: thing. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Make It Count, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada has a global vision the size of our global mission. Partnerships around the world ensure that we do our part to sow God's word beyond the confines of country, culture, or language, and India is one example. Since 2017, in partnership with Back to the Bible India, Dr. John's messages have been broadcast in hard to reach regions across India, in fact, much of Asia. Free pastor conferences have taken place working together to train Biblical leaders for the church in India, and thousands of Bible teaching resources have been translated and distributed to believers hungry for God's truth, and the sowing is bearing fruit. Sonu wrote to say, In my journey with Back to the Bible, I am blessed by the Word of God. Now my whole family is serving the Lord. While well, February is our International Ministries Month, please consider a special gift to reach our $50,000 international ministry goal. Call us at 1 800 663 2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.